Okay, now let's say you were Mark Musselberg, Mark Zuckerberg. In that same scenario, what are some ways you might build trust with the public and stakeholders to establish transparency after getting caught with your pants down like that? Uh, that ship sailed a long time ago. I don't know. <laughs> I, honestly, I don't think you can. I mean, and, and that's how I operate with people, too. It's like once you once you burn my trust, why should I ever trust you again? How can you create a transformation in others if there's no transformation in in yourself? Join your host, Greg Favaza, as your voice on the hard truths of leadership. Your transformation station, connecting clarity clarity. to the cutting edge of leadership. As millennials, we can establish change, not only ourselves, but through organizational change, bringing transparency that goes beyond the organization and reflects back into ourselves, extracting, extracting actionable advice and alternative perspectives that will take you outside of yourself. Nathan Stuck, welcome to your transformation station. How you doing? I am doing fantastic. How are you? <laughs> Dude, I feel great that I got my camera working because this thing's like a hit or miss with this shit. And I was dealing with the neighbors to see uh, how long they're, they're they're moving in. So they're making a lot of noise, but they said they were wrapping <laughs> things up. So it's like, okay, like not be too loud because I can hear you all the way the hell up here and everything's soundproofed. So... You guys are definitely being too loud. <laughs> well, and luckily, I mean, I mean, whatever. If we're making this work today with a computer that won't let me log in, and so I just will do it from the cell phone. It's like the old, uh, you know, first world problems that my MacBook isn't letting me log in. The good news is my old MacBook is ready for me to pick up from the office. They fixed the screen, so this is like maybe I don't wait till tomorrow. Maybe I finish this podcast and drive up to Atlanta today and get that computer back. Hell yes. No, I, I love Mac as far as just like how it easily integrates into the daily uh, things that I'm utilizing it for, for podcasting. Cause I always had a uh, uh, Windows and they always kept coming at me with fucking updates. And then when it updates, it doesn't really update. And <laughs> just like, why do you have to update again? What do you mean just update it? Or you download the update on Windows and then you re- it makes you restart and then it goes... Hey, there are updates available to, and you're just like, wow, we just did this. We literally just did this. So yeah, no, I switched to Mac when I was doing my MBA. I actually took a sabbatical year and I drove for Uber. And then I think they realized like, oh my God, this guy's getting his MBA. And they were trying to launch the, um, the Athens market here. And so I started doing driver signups and office hours. And so they gave me a MacBook. And of course, you know, the first day with a MacBook, you're like the tracker pad. You're like, what, what is going on? Why, how do I scroll? Like you're reading an article. You're like, how do I get to the bottom of the article? I don't know how this works. Where's my, you know, and then you, and then I accepted the offer to work for Advic and they gave me a MacBook. So for a while I had two MacBooks in my backpack and then I had to borrow my wife's computer and it's a, you know, it's a windows device. And I didn't know, I didn't know how to use the tracker pad. I was so frustrated. And I was like, yeah, I don't think you can ever go back. Oh, agreed. You're, you're like a baby boomer trying to operate a fucking DVD player. It's just a pain in the ass. <laughs> so we're going to transition yeah. into uh, 
what to expect from today's episode. Make sure I have this a little close here. When, when I have my guest on, I like to have an authentic, raw conversation. Uh, we don't, I don't like to read from a script unless it's very specific questions that I want to address, which we'll go into later. But I always, I just want to have some, like a real connection. Like when people start to monologue, I'll just, I'll just stop them right there. But like, whoa, dude, whoa, calm down. You are reading from a script and that is boring the hell out of everybody. Please fix yourself. So when that happens, I will do something abnormal to get your attention and just be like, Hey, let's, let's come on. Let's, let's shift the dynamic. Let's keep it like we're having coffee and just hanging out, chilling, you know, we're best friends, all that kind of good jazz. I'm good with that. I like the conversational format better than the scripted format. Beautiful. I do enough of these that if I, if I sound scripted, cause I've probably given the answer before, just yell at me. <laughs> Which it's understandable. This it happens because you just like go into autopilot. Well, you see, back when I was a kid, then we started here, and now here I am running a company. Whoa! Yeah, I don't know what it just was, happened. I was supposed to it ask was you twenty. Questions. It was twenty eight degrees, and the wind was blowing out of the southeast at eleven miles an hour. <laughs> um, I went to an event yesterday, and one of the panelists she reminded me of that old Saturday Night Live skit. You know the uh, the two public radio ladies. Every time she spoke, she was like, "Oh, and I have a fun story for you." And I was like, oh, my God, it's just a... <laughs> so. Um, but, yeah, it was like, man, this is like NPR, though. I'm just kind of like sitting at the back of the room, too. I'm like, I might find myself a nice little quiet spot to just take a nap. <laughs> All right. We're, we're, we're going to get this interview kicked off here. So you have a unique perspective. You essentially you're in the B Corp movement. I have no clue what the hell that's all about. I'm, I'm aware of LLCs as far as S Corp and everything else. So there's definitely a lot to unpack there. So I'll let you kind of break in a little snapshot of yourself and kick us off to speed. Yeah. So, um, yeah, no, I'll talk all about the B Corp movement. I mean, the big thing is, is it's, it, while there is public benefit corporation, status so you can incorporate in i think 39 states as a pbc as opposed to an llc or an s corp or c corp uh b corporations is more of a well it's not more of a it is a certification you can get for your business and basically just kind of like lead is to a building certified organic is to milk um you can you can go get this it's a holistic certification of how you treat your workers how transparent are you? How ethical are you? Um, you know, do you, uh, what's your environmental footprint look like? Are you working to reduce it? How do you treat customers? You know, do you, do you tell them you don't sell their data and then you sell their data? Like those types of things. Um, so it's really just kind of a stakeholder driven, uh, uh, principle of kind of shifting the, 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 or flipping the script on Milton Friedman and, you know, the old, like we exist to businesses are in the business of doing business and mm-hmm. you exist to maximize shareholder value. So, yeah. And then, I mean, just how I stumbled into this world, uh, I'll spare you the long story, but I, I, you know, undergrad at UGA and then just kind of followed a girl back to Athens and that didn't work out. And you're like, why am I still here? But and all of a sudden I'm like, why am I dispatching chicken trucks? Like, why did I take this job? Because, Oh, cause she was here and there's not a lot in Athens. So, um, and, uh, so I, I, I rose the ranks pretty quickly, but I, I didn't really find any purpose in it. And I didn't really like getting out of bed in the morning. So I moved to Las Vegas in 06. I played poker for a little while. 
Um, I literally just hustled for a while living out there. I was 23. I refed hockey. I'd make some money at the rink. I'd ref some games. I'd take that money, go out and buy into a poker tournament, hopefully come out with six, 700 bucks, pay a couple bills the next morning, wash, rinse, repeat. I ended up working, got a job because at some point you're like, benefits are nice, steady income's nice. So I got a job with Enterprise Rent-A-Car. Um, which we all loved when I uh, was that Step Brothers. When it comes out, what are you going to do next? <laughs> Probably get a job at Enterprise. They have a wonderful corporate structure. They give you the tools to be your own boss. Um, I was working there when that came out. We all love that. So, um, but yeah, and I, I did two years in rental, and and again, no real purpose. Whoa, but whoa, 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 man, whoa, whoa. let me stop you. Go ahead. You 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 said some interesting stuff. So you did poker for a little while. Tell me tell me about that. Like. I find it fascinating when you're you're sitting at a t- at the table and trying to call somebody's bluff. Now, it, could you share some insight about like behavior recognition or little patterns that you can tell when you just know this guy has a shitty hand? Yeah, honestly, it's one of the best skills I picked up because you know, as, as you as you you as you get older, you learn to trust your gut. Yeah. And uh, so there's a lot of poker. I mean, there's a lot of times early on where you're paying somebody, even though you know they have it, and your gut tells you they have it, and you're just like, I'm going to pay you anyway, even though I'm pretty sure you turned a straight. And then, you know, you pay off a bunch of money. And you're like, yep, they turned the straight, you know, and you pay enough for that experience. It's kind of like, why do you go to college? You, you, pay, you pay to learn stuff that you could have learned in the real world. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I think, I think like that with poker, there's a lot of times where you, your gut just tells you something's off. And you start picking up sometimes on betting patterns and, you know, like it, – it, that's why you should never really show your hand. And I mean, there's, there's certain times where it makes sense. Like when I'm bluffing sometimes and I know I have the table on tilt already, or I, I want a big hand with a big hand mm-hmm. and then I bet aggressively again. And then sometimes I'll show my bluff just to get the table completely on tilt. And then later when I have another big hand, they get sick of you bullying the table and then you can take all their money because they're like, this guy's bluffing again. And they think that they're like pair of eights is going to beat whatever monster you have. So there, there's some competitive advantages to it, but yeah, I think, I mean, even sometimes it's breathing, it's, it's, it's just kind of a stressed look that it's either a bluff or it's a monster. So um, if, if you and I were playing right now, you know, we're just playing fucking digital poker. Like, what would you look at as far as, okay, I'm, I'm looking at you, you know, I'm looking at my cards. Like, what, what would you try to identify? I'm trying to look at your breathing a little bit. You know, are you obviously breathing heavy? <laughs> Because yeah. you're nervous for one of two reasons. You don't want to screw up a really good hand. Um, also, usually this, like the, the double look, like how many times have you looked at your cards? Um, which is why online is kind of interesting because there's like, you know, if you're looking at your cards, and don't get me wrong, sometimes you can play that into a bluff, knowing that people are looking at that when it's like, you know, the flop comes heart, 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 and I see you look at your hand again. I'm assuming you're going like, oh, shit, did I have a heart? <laughs> So, you know, so like those types of things, but yeah, I think the big thing is you sit at a table long enough. You st- it's, it's really kind of betting patterns mm-hmm. and confidence and, and, and a lot of it comes down to, too, like how willing are you? I think a lot of people like to bluff. A lot of people don't have the, um, we'll call it the fortitude to see a bluff through and you have to fire a couple barrels. And sometimes, you know what, sometimes somebody's got something and you're bluffing and, and, and yes. You're going to continue to get called, but you have to be willing to, it's like that scene in rounders. Like I don't need to see the cards. I can play it blind. You're you're more so playing the person than you are, you know, and then you have the bullies at the table who want to, 
play certain ways. But yeah, there's a whole bunch of it's, it was a really good it was a really good occupation because it taught me a lot about reading people, reading situations. And then again, learning to trust your gut where then, you know, you should call because you've got, you know, trip tens, but you just know from the board, you know, the way they've bet the hands, you know what they were like, you just know, like mm-hmm. they, they turned to flush, they turned to straight, like so, they've got a full hat. Like I just see, you yeah. just see it and you stop, you stop paying it. What? Let's rewind a little with, uh, when you're, you catch somebody, they're looking at their cards more than once, let's say about six to seven times just to reassure themselves what that right there I can interpret is he is attempting to make a bluff. Uh, Usually I think it's, it's sometimes it's the case of they're, they have something monstrous and uh, Uh, and they can't contain (laughs) themselves. They're They're so shocked. They're so shocked shocked that they don't, they're like, like, do, do I re- do I really have that? Do, do, do I really did I really flop flush? Okay. Did I really or did I really flop like trip fours when the flop gotcha. came four four eight? Wait, what rags did I play? Oh god, I played four. So then, seven. if they're not looking at it, then that means that they get, they ain't got shit. So they're just like, I'm fucked. Like I don't know what to do. Yeah, I, I mean a good. Situation. I mean a good poker player should. That, I mean that's bare minimum. I mean those are the things where like, you know, again, you get me at a table with a bunch of pros and they'll eat me alive. Because I probably have all the tells that they're looking at, but then you get me at like I, 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 somebody invited me to a cash game a couple months ago, and I was like, "This isn't fair. <laughs> this isn't." You know, and they're so excited when they have something good, and they don't know when to throw it away. And yeah, the average home player is pretty bad at poker. So let's give the the audience a little snapshot. You're helping students find their paths to purpose, inspiring executives to bring their businesses into the 21st century. You're an engaging speaker that will keep your audience laughing and motivating them. That's a nice little description there. And I I can see that already with just our introduction that we're going to have a great episode today. Now, what is your background and how do you, how would somebody get started in a B Corp today a b corp certification for their business yeah i mean and again a lot of that um a lot of that that purpose i guess my path to purpose comes out of those kind of like those random so dispatching chicken trucks renting cars um just kind of random where like i i I don't know um my mission is to create jobs that don't suck that's kind of my mission in, in life is to help other people find cool jobs um and i think b corps are cool jobs like working at a b corp you might be doing something very traditional like our company does salesforce consulting and um the it's a traditional business but you know can you make a traditional job more fun so i think that's the important part for business owners of like can you instill that purpose into work through volunteerism, through what the company cares about, through company actions too? Because every company pretends to care about stuff now. Yes. Everybody's got a corporate social responsibility mission and commitment to DEI and a commitment to we're going to be net zero by 2030. And, you know, they're still cranking out like plastic bottles and, you know, those types of things that, you know, I think for most companies, honestly, the easiest way to get started is just taking the assessment, just take the, the damn thing like just it's free beimpactassessment.net log in set up your company details because it's 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 an intuitive or whatever you want an adaptive um, assessment so depending on what industry how many employees what your revenue is it gives you 
spits out a lot of the questions are the same, but it does spit out. It's kind of iterative in, in forms of in the form of what questions you'll get. And then some of the questions, like as you answer questions, it unlocks other questions. So, yeah, I think just taking that assessment is step one and then figuring out, like, where are we? You know, and then what do we say we are? And what is our score telling us that maybe we aren't um, and figuring out what areas of opportunity. And then you can kind of chunk it out and figure out how you're going to attack it. And honestly, I, I like to say that it's like, how do you take a good company and make it great? And I think that's what the process of B Corp certification does. Interesting. I like that. Okay. Now, what is the B Corp way of a business? I came across this. What, what, what is the B Corp way? Um... I think it's just transparency, it's honesty, and, and, and it's doing what you say you're doing. It's walking the walk, and there's, that's where that like, gold standard of CSR comes into it. It's that it's, it, it's verifying your claims. It's mm-hmm. verifying that you're a good place to work. It's verifying that you, that you give a damn about the community you're in. Um, and that you're giving back and you're quantifying things too of like, you know, Oh, we care about the community. Okay. Well you donated between your volunteer time, pro bono product or services and cash. You did about 0.25% of your revenue last year. You don't care as much as you say you do. Uh You're not intentional about it. So yeah, I think it's, it's, it's that more than anything. It's, it's the B Corp way is, is that you, you are starting to measure what matters you are um, setting goals for what you want to accomplish, and then you're reverse engineering that into strategy. Mm-hmm. And you're 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 demonstrating to both your your customers. Well, I mean, really, all your stakeholders, but your customers, your employees, your potential future employees, and your community that you're you're about it. That you're about business as a force for good. Okay. So, also, could I caveat and say that they are annotating and being transparent about their numbers and what their culture yeah. is actually. Yeah. I mean, like, okay. I mean, that's one of the reasons we put out an annual impact report. We didn't used to, we had like eight employees when we started this process and we're like, yeah, we'll do an annual impact report. Now we're at 150 and it's like, yeah, we'll do an annual impact report. Okay. Yeah. For companies now, is this for specific types of companies or does this vary across all industries? Um, honestly, it's for all industries. A lot of people think it's, it's primarily focused on like social enterprises and there are a good number of social enterprises, but I mean, again, we do Salesforce consulting. I have a, um, a wealth management firm in Georgia that's certified. There's a landscaping firm that's certified, you know, I mean, there's, and then there's one that's like aiming to end hunger and, and solving kind of the, the logistics problem of food waste and, um, people, that need food, like pairing that up using technology. So there's still the traditional like social enterprise model, but yeah, we've got everything from like, you know, a construct, a green construction company that does remodels and, you know, like we've got that, we've got an insurance broker, we've got, I mean, just kind of the gamut of industries. And, you know, that I think there's a, there's a misconception for some of them that it's either a social enterprise or sometimes even the social enterprises get misconstrued as like, Oh, you're a nonprofit. Like, no, no, no. We've, we're making money and saving the world. And then again, there's just traditional business models where it's like, let's, you know, let's, let's use our traditional, let's use our, whatever, our market force, our clout, our, our, the revenue we make, the profit we make, the jobs we create Mm -hmm. for good in society and kind of be that example for the rest of businesses to follow. Okay. So would, if companies are not B Corp certified and, 
I wanted to get a, I want to establish a, a coalition, coalition to inspire somebody that somebody that's in charge that can actually help make this happen. How would I go about doing that? Uh, as far as like, of like getting companies certified or as far as getting, gathering a team that can make the right individual start pushing that company in that direction. Who would I incorporate in this coalition coalition? Yeah. I mean like internally the company, honestly, I mean, it works best when it's, when it's top down, like for us, it was the CEO and his wife that wanted to do it. Um, but I would say if you have the right person of influence, um, like for me, my title is director of culture and impact, you know, like, but I also have an MBA. I know how to make the business case for this. So it's, it's the people that know how to, and I would, okay, so let's, let's, let's reverse engineer that answer. So I would say recruiting HR, your recruiter that is out, you know, at college job fairs that is out at like trying to recruit Gen Z. Um, I think they're going to get it. I think your managers, your managers, especially of that, that younger generation, I think they're going to get it. So getting somebody that's super passionate about that. Um, so we've got recruiting, we've got somebody probably with, you know, director title and just kind of the operational side of things, the delivery side of, of what you do. Um, marketing, I would say a marketing person is really important because there's a lot of storytelling. And, and, and honestly, right now, what is every marketing company or marketing department trying to do? They're trying to break through that greenwashing clutter again, watch the Super Bowl ads. Every ad I watched, I just thought to myself, man, I'd love to see their annual impact report because they're, so, they're showing a lot of diversity, a lot of climate pledges, a lot of everything in these commercials. I'd love to read your annual impact report. Um, so I think that is, that's, that's probably where I'd start because then you can start to make the ROI case. And I think, I think a lot of people are shy away from talking about ROI and I think that's, that's a mistake. I think that it makes sense to, to have the marketing team have, you know, where's your ROI? It's recruitment retention. It's, it's telling the story. It's, it's differentiating your brand. It's, mm. it's being able to get through that clutter, that noise that everybody's doing this. And it's like, Oh, everybody's doing this, you know, like, okay. Like me being the, the, the doubter watching Super Bowl commercials, but there was one that didn't run in our market, but I know it ran in Asheville. Cause I had a friend send me a link. Did you see the B Corp ad? <laughs> and there was a B Corp that ran an ad during the Super Bowl. I forget what the name of the brand was. But I was like, Holy crap. Like, that's but but like that was kind of it at the oh it was a uh, it was a, I think it was a, a gin distillery out of the UK and it was basically their whole ad was about save our restaurants save our bars like they still need your support and then kind of like a picture of their bottle of gin and then the B Corp logo oh, and that. I'm like Man, that is solid like that is so cool and so yeah I think that logo is starting to get to the point where it is all the validation verification you need for your claims that you make as a marketing department. Anyway, as a long-winded answer, say marketing no. is probably number one. Yeah. yeah, make that ROI case. Like you got to sell the, you know, businesses. Like it's still capitalism. Like you still have to. These are all. It's nice to have, and it's nice that businesses are trying to solve the world's problems. But like, if you ain't making money, you don't have a business. If you if you can't make payroll, you don't have a business. And guess what happens when you don't have a business? You don't have a purpose anymore. You can't change the world if you're not making money. So doing this in a way that. Mm-hmm. allows you to make, to thrive as a business and to grow and to create jobs and to reinvest in the business and to scale the business and grow the business means for me every year when we set a revenue target and I know what my, you know, that I have two percentage, two percentage points out of that revenue mm-hmm. for impact. 
Oh, hell yeah. Okay, we're going for whatever, $30 million. Oh, awesome. I just know that my number just went up. My budget just went up. Okay. Let's, so, let's, let me look at this real quick. If somebody's yeah. t- tuning in right now, they want to know, let's say they see a company and then they see another company with a B Corp certification. Between those two, what is the, the line in the sand that will say, oh, okay, that makes sense. I'm going with this company. Um, you know, I mean, I can't say that that other company's not great, mm-hmm. but I don't know. I don't know. Um, and I honestly will not tell you that the B Corp is perfect, but I know the, I know the amount of work that goes into certification. It is not easy. I mean, you have to go through, you go through that whole assessment. Then you have to, you have to upload a bunch and, and send them a bunch of ver- verifying documents. And then you also have to, uh, <laughs> you have to go through an audit. So some of them are ah. on site where somebody, yeah, somebody okay. from the nonprofit that's the parent organization actually comes out and, you know, sometimes it'll be like either be on site or it'll be like a two hour phone call where they go question by question. Like, why did you answer that way? You know, I mean, and it's, wow. it's, it's okay. intimidating. And then every three years you have to recertify. So you have to continue to, 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 you know, keep those KPIs that you establish when you go through it. And, you know, for me right now, like I know 2024 is our research year. I know I will start that process fall of 2023, which means 2022 are the numbers we're going off of. So we just recertified in 2021. You'd think we could take a little victory lap, take our foot off the pedal. But I already know that this year is more important than any year for what we do, making sure our team's volunteering, making sure we're doing pro bono work, making sure we're, we're hitting all these numbers, making sure we have a great year as far as is not just the, the, the diversity and recruiting side, but also the retention side, the inclusion side of that equation of making sure that we're starting to kind of, you know, we're continuing to become a better version of ourselves and that you never kind of lose sight of the destination. I don't know that we ever all get to perfection. I think that that's what we're striving for, you know, and that goes for just people as well, but. Yes. No, I, I agree. And I like that. So, I mean, I look at a business as a living entity. I mean, as far as what I can do to perfect myself, I can do the very same with an organization. Now, let me ask you, do you see uh, a lot of pushback when you're tr- when you try to persuade businesses to get the B Corp certification? And is it due to possibly them being uncomfortable with being transparent? I think the the biggest one I've gotten. I had we had a project last year out of the University of Georgia. It was it was more concerned with you know what's our ROI, what what are our sales numbers going to do, what is this, and I'm like, I, I, it's it's it is it's, it's tough to quantify because I can't. It's not like running a marketing campaign where you can you know you can create a unique URL for your LinkedIn, and it's like, oh man, we you know we got 38 conversions out of that LinkedIn campaign, and then four of them ended up buying from us. Like our ROI was X. Mm-hmm. So I think that's probably the biggest one. And then I think there's still a little bit of skepticism around, I think there's still, let's just call them Milton Friedman holdouts that just think this is all kind of a fad. And <laughs> I mean, God bless you, but I, I think it makes sense to get out in front of the curve. And then on the other side of it though, I see like, especially in like the CPG space, I see, you know, I'm working with a soap company right now. And, and the woman who owns it was telling me that filling out stuff to like try to get into big box chains and retailers and some of these big department stores, like that's on their, 
supplier they're they're worried about their supplier questionnaire for their own annual impact report uh-huh. so there's actually questions on some of these these supplier questionnaires now you know just to get into the store of like do you have any third party certifications and one of the options is b corp so now there's almost this scrambling from a lot of 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 younger companies to make sure that they're checking that box mm-hmm. um so you're seeing it now really become a competitive advantage, especially in the CPG space where like they know they need to have that logo on the box, on the packaging, on the bottle, whatever it is. And for the younger companies, oh, what that might be, the scramble, what, what, what might that be due to the, the fact of uh, millennials and also Generation Z as far as making that look appealing to them? Yeah, I think a big, it's a, I always make, I joke that uh, millennials never really liked the status quo, but we we were still so close to Gen X, you know, our parents' generation that was kind of like, hey, you get a job, you work real hard, you move up, just keep your head down, don't rock the boat, you know, we're kind of like, man, this status quo sucks, what did you give us to take over? And, but we, but we didn't say anything, we were kind of like, eh, well, you know, it is what it is, and yeah take our parents advice. And then Gen Z showed up like F this. And like, they just started flipping over desks. And I think that helped millennials find their voice. And I mean, you're seeing it right now with whatever you want to call the great resignation. I hate when things become trendy, the great resignation, (laughs) the great awakening, the great reckoning, whatever, whatever the stupid title is. People don't just, they're not going to work at crappy jobs. They're not going to do it. And and if you roll out a policy or you change something or you do something like they want to know why you're doing it. They want to understand what's the business use case. Like they, you know, and I think we used to want to, but we were trained to like, Nathan, jump. Yes, sir. How high? You know, like that yes. was ours. And now it's like, hey, Gen Z, jump. And they're like, eh, why are we jumping? <laughs> and so I think there's some, but I think the companies that get it are the ones that are like, okay, we, we, we're going to need to kind of adapt or go away because, you know, if, if we're that old school, kind of that naysayer, Milton Friedman, I mean, Milton Friedman wrote that op in 1970. Mm-hmm. And, and for somebody born in 1983, it's like, that wasn't that long ago. And you're like, oh yeah, that was 51 years ago. Like, so if he was, you know, the people that were 25, 30, even reading that are 75 to 80 now, like that generation's kind of going, going, I mean, what every generation eventually does, it goes away mm-hmm. and uh, it lives in the history book. So I think companies that get it are realizing that like Gen, the oldest Gen Z turns 27 this year. They're getting out of college. They have money. They have disposable income. Millennials are directors and VPs and executives. Like, well, the oldest millennial will be 41 this year. We have mortgages and kids and, and a lot of disposable income. And a lot of us didn't have kids, so we have even more disposable income. So I think there's that element of it, too, that I think that they're starting to realize that, like, if you're going to recruit and attract and retain this talent and you're also going to get them to spend your money, their money with you, you better be about it. You better be doing something more than just creating a product that solves a need. Yes. No, I, I agree. I like that as far as what you laid out on the type of individuals and what they want as far as uh, millennials and Generation Z. Now, with having that that authenticity into a company, what might organizational leadership look like inside a B Corp versus a regular corporation? Uh, I think the biggest thing is going to be transparency. I think you're going to see a lot more of the uh, you're going to see a lot more of like what the example I just gave of, of, of 
helping people understand the decisions being made. I still don't think that there's, there's still like the, it's not some like drum circle, like, you know, everybody gets a vote and whatever the majority, I mean, maybe some companies operate, like ours doesn't. We still have an executive suite that makes decisions, but helping people become a part of that decision and, and creating a culture where people feel empowered to speak up. And, you know, we always say, I say it on every onboarding call that we're, you know, we're an eight year old company. We've grown, we've been successful, but we don't claim to be perfect. We don't have all the answers. We're in the IT space. We're very iterative. What works works and what doesn't, we scrap it and we move on and we try something new and we move fast. And if you come from a different company that did something and you're like, here's this problem they're still having. And we solved it at this company I was at. Like, I don't care if it's your first day. We've had that happen where somebody literally it was our onboarding process like four years ago. Somebody started her first day and she was like, hey, our onboarding's terrible. And she was like, but she also then threw out the one thing that every executive wants to hear. Can I be a part of helping you fix it? And, you know, so she and I work together like, okay, and they need to meet with this department. And they need to meet with this department. And here's the checklist. And here's what we'll include. And here's the first slide deck. And, you know, obviously, and now we're at this point where we're, you know, we're even revamping all of that again and really polishing it. But I think it's that it's, it's, do you create a culture even from day one, that employee recognized that this was a company where you could speak up and be a part of the solution and it would be welcomed and embraced. So I think that's the big thing is, is, a, is a culture of transparency and candor and um, from the top down and from the bottom yes. up and, okay. and really fostering it. So what, what you were describing there, were you uh, a, a change agent team? Is it, I think that's cr- what I'm trying to look at. Uh, like a team that was put together to uh, change the behavior for this specific uh uh, purpose that I'm explaining is the onboarding process. Were you and the other individual put together to as change agents to recalibrate that system to make it flow more uh, evenly? Yeah. I mean, I think we do a lot of that sometimes. And it's like, if you make a good business use case to our executive team, like, here's what we're doing. Here's why we're doing it. They get it. They understand it. They understand the value. You know I mean? You can napkin math it a little bit, but for the most part, like they're going to get your assumptions. They're going to get where you came up with the numbers. And, you know, and and if it means that, you know, for us as a consulting firm, if it means that somebody that might be, I'm not billable, but if somebody that is billable wants to work on this and there's a good business case made as to why there is a return on the investment of their time that is not billing customers, we'll make time for that. So, yeah, we have, I mean, we've got to pause you right there. So with making a case, all right, to who you're ever trying to appeal now that is based on the, uh, what drawn the emotion out of the individual that you're presenting the case to. So it might be different depending on various stakeholders. Yeah. And I think knowing what, you know, presenting to a CFO is different from presenting to the, you know, the president of the company or the COO, like there's, there's that element of like, what is important to them and how do you, you know, how do you make your argument I mean, obviously, I think emotions are part of it, but I think for the most part, you're trying to make a business case of this is why this is important. And this is why, like, right now we're redoing our intranet. Why? Because everybody on the survey told us, like, oh, that intranet's kind of outdated. It looks like a website like your friend built for you in 2002. <laughs> so, we and we had some people and it was like, okay, we have people that want to do something about it. Let's empower them to just kind of, hey, you own this. 
And what, when are you going to have it done by who, you know, what other stakeholders do you need to bring in for different pieces of it to help? If you get any pushback, let me know. And that's kind of the way the company will operate with stuff like that when it needs to. I mean, obviously you have to prioritize things. If you're really busy with actual client work, maybe that's a Q2 instead of Q1. But yeah, empowering our people to be a part of the change when things need improving. Okay. I really like that. And with you said with the re- redoing the internet. Now I'm imagining, of course, like adaption into information systems. Now, is the main thing behind this, would it be bringing a, a vertical, all the employees at a vertical level down to a flattened structure where communication is able to disperse more evenly? Oh, we tried the flat hierarchy. It didn't work very well. Um, <laughs> speaking of things we iterated from, well, we tried it around like 60 employees and it was just nobody reported to anybody. And it was, I don't want to say it was a free for all, but no, it was more so the opposite that it was a, a, a malaise because nobody knew where to go with anything. Wow. And so people okay. kind of started going to a couple, like oh, I was in operations at that point. And everybody came to me with everything and you're like, I, I don't know. I don't have the answer. So anyway, that lasted about three months, but no, we've, <laughs> Um, I mean, a, a lot of it now, especially some of the change stuff we do is cross team. Like we've got different teams and we have different, I don't want to call them verticals, but cause we have, I mean, we have verticals that we sell into as far as being in the Salesforce space, but, but we also have, you know, each team might have, you know, we have developers, we have data analysts, we have people who actually do the configuring within Salesforce, which is a lot more. Um, what we call declarative point, click, drag, kind of understand the business use case. And you're building out what the solution looks like within Salesforce. We have people that write custom code. So there's those people are all, there's a good mix of them on each of our teams. So when we do projects, it's kind of a cross team approach, which can also be beneficial because then people who might not normally work with each other on a, on a usual, you know, client project, get to work with each other internally and get to know each other and, you start breaking down some of those, you know, even as we've grown to 150, you still start all of a sudden you realize you're creating silos within your own company that you didn't have at 20 employees because everybody knew everybody and their spouse and their kids. And, but at 150, you're like, uh, remind me of your name again. I like that. Now I'm going to draw it towards a couple of questions that I like for myself. Now, let's see which one I want to go to let's say you're in charge of hiring an ethics officer. Okay. What, what would you look for? Where would you place him, And why would that be important? Who an ethics officer. It's a good one. Um, <laughs> I definitely want to be involved in the interview of this just because I live in the B Corp space. And I think there's a lot of overlap with my current role as far as culture and impact. And yes. um, I'd probably, Honestly, I would want to know some, some, some answers to some, I would probably throw out some hypotheticals. Um, and I would also want to know, I think more than anything, they need to be a, a culture fit for the company too, because just like anything, I think there's a lot, even in ethics, I think there's gray, you know, there's levels of offense, there's levels of, of, um, of, there's a, sl- a scale, I guess is yes. probably a better term than levels of, of, you know, is this term, is this termination worthy? Is this, um, you know, but I mean, a lot of that work is kind of what I do of like, 
I think because there's an ethical part of the B Corp certification it's, that comes into, I've heard our CEO describe it as guardrails for corporate decision making. So, and that's what our B Corp certification, especially as you're scaling, like uh, this is the pretty heavy stuff in the boat. So when you're taking on water, we should probably chuck some of this out of it. It is my job to make sure we do not. So I think from an ethics officer standpoint, a lot of that comes down to the B Corp stuff too, of like, is what we're putting out to the world what we're actually doing? I think that's the North Star I want to know. Like, it, are you okay with with saying that we're doing something and spinning something to maybe sound a little bit more rosy if you know that, you know, four out of every 10 employees complained about that on the last survey? That's, that's, that's where you start to get into, at least for me, the ethical part of the mark, because I have a marketing background and operation. So, like, it, it, are you who you say you are? And is it okay to be telling stories, touting something that you aren't? Uh huh. Okay. That answer the question. Is that it, kinda- it, it, it goes. It goes into it a little bit, and uh, I'll, I'll caveat a little bit with the the idea that I see behind an ethics officer with having them higher up in the the chain of command is to have that balance of the equilibrium of ethics and the legality of the issue when a, a business is needing governance or counsel. Now with have with hiring an ethics officer, what like key traits or just characteristics would you see inside one of them? And where do you think he would be sitting inside a, a hierarchy of an organization structure? Um, I mean, I'll speak from experience here a little bit because in a weird way, a lot of what I do is this. Um, I don't necessarily know that I don't sit in on every business strategy meeting, mm-hmm. but I report directly to the CEO. So I have that that ear. But I think as far as traits, I would look for traits like things that are correlated to high character. So, you know, do you serve, how do you serve your community? Are you on nonprofit boards? Are you in leadership positions on nonprofit boards? How long have you been doing this? You know, like, cause you know, yeah. have you been booted off any nonprofit boards? Like what, how long were you at your last company? Um, and honestly, I would just want them to tell me their story. I, I think there's a lot in somebody's story of, I don't want to say job hopping because everybody, you know, that's, it's not, it's not as bad as it used to be, but I just, I just want to know like your why, like what motivates you? What is your own personal mission in life? What is your own personal, personal North star in life of what guides you, what guides your decision-making? Um, because yeah, I think, I think there's, you know, and what I was touching on too was even beyond the traditional roles that you said that like he or she may be like participating in of like the legal stuff. But also I think there's, you know, that's kind of the B Corp thing is like taking it above and beyond that to the other stuff of like, just maybe it's not illegal, but is it kind of shady business practices? Mm-hmm. And how is that perceived by the public? Now, like when I'm thinking of an ethics officer, I think of them as like a silent partner inside a, uh, uh, inside the board of directors or along with the board of directors. They're like, he's just in the corner with the little notepad and the board of directors are having a meeting and he's just writing notes. And then he's like, he has like a gapple when something's like fucking off. Like, no, no, don't do that. That is, that is wrong. You don't do that. 
Well, it's funny too, because even as, as my role has evolved, and again, I used to be super hands-on in operations and I ran financial operations. I did invoicing and I did all of our audits, um, you know, making sure we haven't overbuilt clients. And if we have like, Hey, what do we do? Like what's, what's, or we've underbuilt a client. What do we do? Um, what happens? Let's solve it. But as I've gone more into this culture and impact role, I am more of a kind of that silent observer. And even last year we had a couple things where it wasn't an ethical concern, but when we rolled them out, they weren't well received. And it's, it's part of that now is becoming a sounding board for how do we, you know, I just kind of sit and I'm the fly on the wall and then I go, Hey, what are we doing? Why are we doing this? What's the goal? So I think somebody kind of, and it goes back to the previous question, I think of, of the culture side of things too. also somebody that understands that element of how does this affect the culture of the company. But I think also a big requirement of this is having somebody that also understands how businesses make money um, that, that can take an idea and not necessarily say no to it, but take an idea that maybe they would say no to and then help the company adapt it into something that, that everybody can feel better about making. So I think that's a big thing too, because otherwise I think if you get too many people who don't necessarily get the business behind the decision-making, mm-hmm. then they're just going to be, they're just going to be a no person. Okay. Now let's transition to another little, little role play here. Now, oh, let's see how, what's question. How do I want to do this? What, what do you do in the face of, of a, of an ethical issue that come that comes to light. Let's look back at uh with Facebook. Now we had Francis Hodgins. I, I had to literally Google that just to make sure her her full name was correct there. With Francis Hodgins coming forward as uh as she shined a spotlight on all the unethical things that Facebook has been doing and the lack of transparency. Let's say you were in her position. How would you handle that problem? Ooh, that's a great question. Um, uh, <laughs> my first answer is I probably wouldn't work for Facebook. Um, that's the guy who quit Facebook. I'm just like, no, I'm good. Um, yeah, I probably wouldn't. I mean, that's, that's also goes back to my personal mission, creating jobs that don't suck. Like I, I don't ever want to be in that situation again where, um, you know, and I've had jobs like that where I just don't feel good about why we're doing things the way we're doing them. And I've eventually left and it's hard when you're, you know, cause you also have a family to feed and, and people to, that sometimes I think people are afraid to lose their job and they just kind of put up with crap, um, or put up with things that are unethical. Yeah. I, the, the big thing for me in my work is, is, excuse me, like, and the, and why I love the B Corp thing is that, I, that those, how do you just, you know, it's, it's a lot like there's a case study we did in our MBA program. And it was like, okay, you're a water company executive or you're on the board of directors or whatever the hell it is. And, and you had this aquifer. And it was running low. It hadn't rained a lot, but you kept draining out of the aquifer. Well, now you've gotten all the runoff from the local farmland. So now this water is poisonous and there's a dead baby and you've still been selling the bottled water. And and the whole exercise is how do you handle the public relations nightmare? And I was in this class and everybody MBA and I've already been introduced to the B Corp stuff and everything, but I'm just in this class and I'm like, how about you just don't do shady shit in the first place? And then you don't have to come up with a strategy on how to get out of getting caught doing shady. Like, mm. it's so weird that we as, a, as, as business schools and still 
that we have professors and PhDs that study corporate crises. I'm like, what if we just didn't do shitty business practices and that we need a strategy for when we get caught being horrible? Like, what is our strategy to get out of it? And it's like, uh, so I don't know that I have a good answer because like, I hope to never work for a company like that. Like I hope to honestly eradicate companies like that and get everybody. So, you know, I mean, not that, that, that every company is going to certify as a B Corp, but get it to a point where like, man, there's enough options out there and enough decent sized company options with good jobs that pay well, that you can just go like, I don't want to work for you. And there's this like yeah. resignation wave that just hits that company. Like, I had a buddy. Well, nah, you're monologuing. You're monologue. You're about to start monologuing. Good. I'm going to cut you down good. right there. No, but yeah, you, I don't you down like a lumberjack, me. just like that. But no, I like that what you brought up. But you still dodge the dodge the bullet a little bit. But I I want to chime in because you said something else with this. Just like preventing shady shit from happening. I feel like this could be done at a corporate level where going down to the basic decision making if you're just transparent and you're an advocate for change one way or another the companies will adapt otherwise they're fucking gone if you just if you're just transparent about everything you're doing you annotate that shit because it's everything's public one way or another we're going to find out so you might as well take the little steps and do it right the first time and if they just were to do that, just that basic structure and let that delegate down as the standard, I feel like that will be the standard. And that's how we can adjust our company culture into what we need today. And that's authenticity. Yes. And I mean, I guess my answer then to your question would be, I would be in front of it and I would put my foot down before we did the shady thing in the first place. Like, I, I think that's, that's what's missing in corporate America is where's that voice saying like, whoa, whoa we're like tweaking this <laughs> Facebook algorithm to like spiral people into this like web of like, you know, like craziness and, and, and the self enforcing bubble of thought and just to keep them on the website longer. Like, whoa, like, isn't there another way we can make money? Isn't, I mean, I mean, seriously, like, I mean, at what point do you, does somebody raise their hand in that boardroom? Of, of Zuckerberg or Sheryl Sandberg and say like, whoa, this is, this is, this is it. This is what it's boiled down to. This is how we make money now. And then our goal yes. is to hope that nobody whistle blows. So yeah, I agree. I mean, it's kind of the big thing. <laughs> okay. Now let's say you were Mark Musselberg, Mark Zuckerberg in that same scenario, what are some ways you might build trust with the public and stakeholders to establish transparency after getting caught with your pants down like that uh that ship sailed a long time ago i don't know that, I honestly i don't think you can i mean and, and that's how i operate with people too it's like once you once you burn my trust why should i ever trust you again you've shown your true ethical compass and that all your your going in front of congress your apologies everything and i think people should be allowed some grace for mistakes but if your mistake was was really letting greed get in the way of ethical decision-making, then I, I don't know that there's rebuilding that trust. If I'm him, I just step down and, and take my billions and just fade into the history books. I think that's the old, that was the only ethical thing for him to do was just to say, you know what? I, I, I don't know what got into me, but this isn't healthy. It's not good for the, the, the legacy of my company. And 
maybe it's maybe it's time for new leadership. And I think that that would have been the brave, courageous thing that maybe would have restored some trust in the company and in him as a human being. But mm-hmm. just going out and kind of parading and, and tiptoeing around the questions and yeah. and giving the, the corporate legal answer of why that wasn't necessarily illegal is just nah. There's there's not a lot you can do. Yeah, I, I feel like now this is sub subjective here. I just feel like he's untouchable or he thinks that he's untouchable. Thus he's pretty much doing what he wants to do. But at this point he's got another thing coming with what should be happening probably in the next few years. Cause I know we are not going to accept that now it brings me to another question. What if the business, let's say Facebook again, let's say he was upfront before Francis came forward and said, Hey, we are using your data and we are controlling the algorithm to benefit us. And how do you feel about that? Do you guys like that or do you not? And why should we stop? Yeah. I mean, cause I think a lot of company, I mean, if it was not buried in page 22 of the checkbox that they require when you set up an account, <laughs> I think it would have been okay. Um, but yeah, I think, I think there's something there of, of, being transparent about how you make money. You know, I think about like when I used to sell and we'd show the client, like, so we make a little bit of money here on the front end. We make a little bit of money here and we make a little bit of money here on the back end. And it was like, boom, that's how we make our money. And you can see it. Here you go. Um, I think that builds trust, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if, if, if if they did it in a way where consumers could actually understand Mm -hmm. what, you know, what the, where, where the ethical concerns were. Um, but to me, it's just, it's just, it's gotten to a point where if it's, if it's legal, do it. And I, I hate that. I hate that. Like wait for somebody like, and to me, that's the old school way of doing business versus like, you know, asking not necessarily, is it legal? Is it ethical? Um, and, and having that control group maybe or focus groups that tell you like, no, nah, I don't want you doing that. Like, you know, and honestly, consumers too, though, it's like at some point consumers have the power, like delete your damn account if you really care. And so maybe, it may, so maybe they don't, maybe they, they know they're being manipulated and they're still doing it. And, and it's a good news story, but at the end of the day, I think most consumers know what Facebook does mm-hmm. and they still do it. I mean, I know like logging into like, um, you know, even like the LinkedIn algorithm, like I go through it and you get sucked in for hours. Like I know what they're doing. I know why they suppress my, my posts that have like an external link on them. Like I'm not stupid. You don't want people leaving LinkedIn. So, um, but you know, at some point I'm okay with that as a consumer, then you're, you're okay with that as a consumer. And I think that's, that's, and that comes back to the whole like B Corp thing of like, you know, consumers voting with their dollar, voting with their ethics and like where they're going to do business, who they're going to work for. So no, you, you brought up a good point where I was trying to transition to like, we are already like having an, an Apple iPhone. Like if you don't go down to the settings, the privacy settings, and you don't uncheck that box where you're being exposed to add specific things on online, then you're allowing that. Or when you're going and entering a website, you're accepting those cookies or the cache of, uh, <clears throat> You're accepting those uh, caches when you go on to leave your data stream. When you're downloading this podcast, we are getting data analytics to 
find out exactly what type of listener is listening to the show so I can tailor this content better to those that are listening. Now, we all expect we all expect that to happen and we know it's happening. Thus, it's not a big deal. And I feel like if transparency was much more open that we could literally see through the company's intentions and then thus get a real understanding of not only the company's culture, but the individual behind it who's running it. Yeah. And I think that's, I mean, it's, it's funny. That's a lot of those questions are in the consumer, the customer section of the B impact assessment of, you know, do you disclose what you're using data for? And it's like, to me, there's some beauty in, and, you know, I did a lot of market research during my MBA. I just fell in love with it. So any experiential project I could do, I loved it. And I think it's kind of, some of it's really cool. You know, some of it's really that you can tailor, you know, your product, your service, your, your Mm -hmm. podcast to based off of, okay, I'm starting to figure out that my demographic is 35 to 49 year old, you know, married men who, you know, who listen to me while they're exercising or listen, you know, whether walking the dogs or they're driving the kids to school. Like if you can start to figure that out, um, you're just going to give them a better product. So I think that's, that's the difference is like, are you willing to take those extra steps as a business and, and do things on the up and up, or are you kind of like, um, trying to kind of pretend one way or the other. And there's, you know, and, and, the, and to me that why I love the B Corp movement, cause the answer isn't just to regulate everything. It, it, I mean, if we've learned anything, at least in my lifetime, government just doesn't seem to do anything. Um, especially <laughs> now, it's just like whoever's in power, the other party just obstructs, and then then the other party gets elected, and then the other party obstructs, and like, and you can't say one's better than the other because they all do it. Um, so yeah, I think I think just the answer isn't regulation. I think the answer to some of this is business is self-regulating, but it it to move the needle it has to be in that business's best interest to self-regulate, which means consumers have to give a crap. They have to care. They have to demand more. Um, employees have to care. Employees have to demand more. And until that, that business case is made and that needle moves, I, I think I'm just being optimistic that companies are going to self-police. But I also feel like that's why I'm in this movement. That's why I, I'm, I'm recording a podcast at two o'clock on a, on a what is it Wednesday? Like why I do these all the time and why I speak about the course, because I think, I don't know that they're the solution, but they're part of it. I, I like that. Now I feel like with really establishing change in organizations, yes, uh, self-policing is definitely a major key factor, but I don't feel like we can really get the change initiate it without having the right leadership in office in position to establish this kind of movement. Now, what might, what might be a key action item for those that are in a leadership position to initiate this change? Uh, Lead by example. What do you, you know, you know, ethics is the definition of doing the right thing when nobody's looking. So do that. I think do that. And I think it becomes very clear to your team. I mean, I've been here five years and, and I didn't even get into my whole backstory, but I mean, before I did my MBA, I had four jobs in 18 months. And then I took a year off because I quit the fourth job mm-hmm. and I had nothing else lined up. And so I was applying to grad schools and I drove an Uber and I, 
you know, and I, I worked part-time minimum wage shifts at the convention center in Athens and kind of, I'd never really seen how the other half lives. I had, you know, even in high school, my job was refing hockey. I made $25 a game. You know, I mean, I was just rolling, <laughs> rolling all cash, baby, like going to Europe every summer, paid my way through college with all that money. And I'd never worked a minimum wage job and seeing all these people working, you know, part-time jobs and, um, so they, they don't have to get benefits and, you know, but they don't have to make them full-time. So just seeing like, Oh my God, all these people work like three 20 hour week jobs. And to me, it's like, at some point, like, do I want to give somebody like that my business? And so now as I'm getting to the point where I have the ability to like put on conferences and like, where do I want to have it? Like, I don't know. Like, I want to know, I want to know how you treat your frontline workers before I give you my convention business, those types of things that, I don't know. I just wish more companies, more leaders would think about things with intention and, and, and value their, you know, again, it's like that old adage, like how do they treat the, you know, the person cleaning out the, the, you know, when the office is closed and you're the last one working, how do you treat the custodial staff that's coming in? Cause somebody has to empty your trash cans. Yes. Somebody has to clean, somebody has to take out the trash. Somebody has to do all that work and, you know, and, and honestly not everybody can be the CEO. So we're always going to need that person. And why I'd love to see more leaders value them, pay living wages and, and just kind of, I don't know, do things for the benefit of society as a whole and not necessarily the bottom line. You know, if it means your margins are 9% instead of 10%, but everybody, but what's your retention worth then if that person stays and goes above and beyond all the time and does great work for you as a custodian, as you know, like to me, that's, that's where leaders need to start asking those gut check questions too, that there's more than just the, the money in and the money out. I think that needs to go into decision-making because I think a lot of it is good for business. And I think business owners, like, like my boss, I think he gets that. And he's, he's, you know, I mean, we've literally, we're, we'll be 200 employees by the end of June, probably. So like we're seeing, we're reaping the rewards and I want other people to know that. That's why I tell the story. I like that. Now, something just came to my mind here. I, I feel like with, like uh, with a company that's becoming tainted by its own actions that they, they have a bad reputation in the, in the corporate culture from somebody that's looking at the bottom up. I feel like that occurs when uh, leadership decide to take uh, a shortcut just because maybe it's a Friday or the data says it's 9%, 9% and we're just going to round up to 10%. I feel like these little just these little changes or actions lead to this, the strangulation of the, the identity that they are no longer that perceived company that those values and their mission statement is stated, but they're the complete opposite because of these actions. Now, when an employee is recognizing that, how can they step up and be heard so they can? realign what is being seen, but others don't even recognize exist. Um, again, it comes back to that building, that culture where your employees feel empowered to speak up. And if they don't like something, I mean, we've, I've done a lot with our surveys to keep them anonymous and encourage. There's a qualitative part to every single quantitative question. So it's all Likert scale, but then would you like to add more? Would you like to add more? Um, so building that so we can actually get some of that feedback um, and honestly, if you speak up and whatever you want to call it, it doesn't even necessarily need to be whistleblowing that you caught them really doing something shady, but just like 
Hey, have you thought about how that might impact so-and-so mm-hmm. um, having some, having some bold leaders, maybe directly below the, the C-suite. Like for us, we have some of those, um, myself included, but other ones as well that I've worked with for a really long time and respect. And I know if I'm not there that they'll speak up that I think having that and then having other employees below them that see that behavior and maybe you're even transparent enough to share the story of, Hey, we talked about doing this in the leadership meeting and and we decided against it because X, Y, and Z. And I had my concerns and they see that behavior and now they're a tier below and then they speak up. And then honestly, if you're at a company where you see something that, that is, that is unethical or, or shady or makes you feel uncomfortable and your feedback isn't heard and it's and you're kind of labeled as a complainer or a whiner or they just don't yes. get it. Um, send your resume to a trusted friend who's good with resumes, <laughs> get it polished up and get the heck out of there. I think that's the way to get through to some of these businesses is when their top talent starts leaving. But, um, you know, and at what point do we as, as individual employees have to start kind of taking some accountability for where we work and what we put up with? And, and knowing now too, that there's this, this talent gap and we, we control a lot more of our own destiny than we used to. I think we need to be empowered as, as workers to, to, to own some of that. And if, if it's bad, get out, get out. If you don't have a boss that's encouraging you to, to do the right thing, that's doing the right thing by example, that you have to tell them to do the right thing every time. uh, Yeah. Find, find other employment. I should have prefaced that uh, my comment uh, with a psychological safe workplace as far as them stepping forward and addressing a concern. But you you hit the nail right on the head with uh, with your with your statement. I, I completely agree with you. Now, for those that want to become a better individual right now, what is one key action item they can do that can help them get in line with the direction they're trying to go as far as say an employee with them not liking their job with a business or an individual in charge of a business deciding to go forward and get this B Corp certification. What is one key action item you would recommend to them? Uh, Put your keys in the ignition, turn the car on and back out of the parking space. You can't drive 500 miles if you don't drive the first one. Well, you can't drive 500 miles if you don't back out of the parking space. So like start, just start taking action. You know, individually too, um, you sign up for a volunteer event, go give back to the community, see how good you feel afterwards, go volunteer to mentor a student, go just figure out what your passion is, just sign up for something, get involved and then figure out what, where your passion lies and, and run with it. I think there's, there's a, one of the secrets to life and happiness is service to others. So for an, on an individual basis, I know the, the more, I also think that the, I'm a firm believer in karma. The more I give back, the more good things come in return. It's not why I give back, but I've noticed that my luck has changed dramatically. The more <laughs> it's highly correlated with volunteer hours. <laughs> um, and that's led me to get involved with nonprofit boards. You know, just volunteering got me like, oh, I could serve on this nonprofit board. And guess what you get to do when you're on a nonprofit board? Direct a nonprofit, direct their impact. And then they're like, oh. Hey, you want to serve as board chair? Oh, yeah, I'd love to. Now you really actually get to steer an organization and steer the impact they're making. So I went from, you know, picking up, you know, volunteering for a trash pickup or a food bank to, you know, chairing two boards and a committee on another. So now it's like, oh, man, I like it. That, that spiraled quickly in a good way. 
And then for organizations, same thing. Just just sign up, beimpactassessment.net. It's free. Just sign up there. And the, if you're a CEO or C-suite executive and you're just like, curious, like, how does our business stack up? How do we, how, where do we rank as far as, you know, like what we say we do and what we say we value? If you value diversity and inclusion, like run your employee demographics. What percentage of women, what percentage of your promotions last year were, were women or people of color? Like just put some numbers behind it and don't, we're so quick to cancel now because it's like, whoa, that's it. 8%. Okay. It's 8%. You're never going to improve. If you don't know that it's 8%. Okay. So what could we do differently? Come up with a strategy based off of it's 8%. Uh, even for us, we never even set a goal around that stuff. We just knew our industry overall is, is heavily white male. So like what, how can we think intentionally and set a strategy around recruiting and where we recruit and all those different things to like start moving the needle um, and start improving. And then we can set some goals. But if you, you know, if you're not happy with where you're at, it's, it's okay. doesn't mean you're horrible. Just kind of start making small improvements and just give yourself a couple of goals for 2022 and where to go. But yeah, take the assessment and start quantifying, you know, measure what matters. You can't improve it if you're not measuring it. I really like what you said uh, with volunteering. I mean, Doing that, you you gain a lot of insight in doing things that you thought you would never find actually appealing and making you feel great inside. What I what I like about that is if you do that consistently, you're now getting an internal understanding on what makes you feel good that you didn't recognize makes you feel feeling good. So this in return will allow you to pivot towards opportunities that you didn't see as an opportunity at one point. Yes, I think so. Yeah. And I think it just, it, again, it's just getting that momentum. It's getting that momentum going again, even if it's just, I mean, I literally have trash grabbers like in my garage that I'll just go. Sometimes I'll put on a, I call it triple tasking where I put on my earbuds. I put in an, on like an auto audible, ugh, I can't <laughs> even speak English, an audio book. Um, on Audible or a podcast, and I grab my trash grabber and a bag, and I walk around the neighborhood and I clean up the streets. I'm listening to a book. I'm getting exercise. You know, like, but just something like that. Just, just, just start. Oh, I think yeah. that's the toughest. I mean, like anything. What is it like? The an object in motion remains in motion. So, but the tough part is getting that. It's like starting your workout plan for the year mm. <laughs> when you set your New Year's resolution. Like, hey, buddy, and I'm guilty of this. So it hits home. Like, hey, uh, I keep saying like. Hey, next week I'm gonna start going to the gym again. <laughs> All right, we'll go to the gym. <laughs> yes, it, it just I like that. An object in motion stays in motion. Now, now Nathan, is there anything else? No, no, no. First, how can our audience get in touch with you if they want to learn more? Yeah, um, <laughs> you heard my Facebook rant. So the only uh, social I'm on is LinkedIn. So it's uh, LinkedIn.com slash Nathan A. Stuck. Um, and feel free to connect, follow, whatever. Um, I don't post anything too world-changing, but I try to inspire. So, like, you'll see a lot of pictures of me picking up trash. Christmas time, you'll see me dressed up as Santa picking up trash. Santa's a big, uh, hates litter bugs. So uh, <laughs> I put that Santa suit to good use. But yeah, and then, you know, and then obviously through Be Local Georgia, if you're in, honestly, wherever you are listening to this, there's probably a Be Local chapter near you. Um, they're all independent nonprofits, but we're all, we all have a memorandum of understanding with B-Lab, so branding guidelines and all that. But um, yeah, uh, if, if you're near Georgia, come out to a Be Local Georgia event. You can follow us on LinkedIn at 
linkedin.com slash be local GA. Um, but yeah, that's, and, and then we have a website too, be local Georgia.com. Beautiful. Beautiful. Now, is there anything else that you would like to uh, share with the audience before I let you go? Uh, no, I mean, that last one set me up perfectly. I mean, that's kind of, I had t-shirts made last year that said, take action, make progress. Um, and I, I literally was talking to somebody earlier who's playing this whole green business fair in Atlanta. And it was the same kind of premise of like, we're not, we're not, you're not going to solve climate change. You're not going to solve unethical bit. Like we're, you and I are not going to do it alone. Um, but being a part of the overall groundswell, putting our own ripple in the, in the, in the ocean that builds the wave that turns into a tsunami of change is what it's all about. So don't be overwhelmed by the amount of problems facing whatever society or the world or the climate is like, just, just shut up and get involved or, you know, and I hate to say that, but sometimes it's like, I don't have time for people who want to complain. Same thing like the, Hey, come to the boss with a solution. Like, that's great that our onboarding is terrible, but you know, it's valuable is saying, I want to be a part of making the onboarding better. It's the same thing. Like I don't really have time for people who just want to talk about how bad things are, um, who just want to sit behind a keyboard and, and, you know, cancel people, take people down. I, I, I have a, the utmost respect for people who are out there actually trying and doing the work. So go do the work. I like that with the the ripple in the wave. I, I was doing a little oceanography uh, research, I think maybe three years ago. And it's just like, like the wind blowing onto the water at, on one side of one side of the ocean about, it takes like a thousand miles for that to become a, decent sized wave crashing into the sandbar. Some useless knowledge that seems to come in handy right now, <laughs> but, but you're right. Yeah. That's, that's so, what but, it's all about. But if you're sitting there, if you're sitting there where the wind's blowing, you're like, the wind's doing nothing. <laughs> and then if you're standing, you know, off the coast of Africa, and then if you're on like, you know, the coast of, of, of Georgia or something, you see the waves crash, you're like, yeah, that started way back there. So yeah, it's a cumulative effort that we all need to be a part of. I completely agree. Dad. Nathan Stuck, I appreciate you coming on to your transformation station. Yeah, man, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to your transformation station, your voice on the hard truths of leadership. We hope you've enjoyed the show. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information. Make sure to like, rate, and review the show. Remember, your transformation station is on all major platforms, including Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, TikTok, and YouTube. And visit the website till next time.